Hopefully you have a Bible with you and you can turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in a couple of different chapters and we're looking this morning at spiritual cancer, spiritual cancer. And we're going to talk about it, look at it in this passage today and in these two passages, chapter 1 and chapter 3. And I want to set the setting. Uh, Every day in your body, some cells are dividing and moving around to replace cells that are dying. Um, There's an unhealthy form of cell division. And that's when cells divide too rapidly or they cluster in one place and instead of moving around more healthfully. And so we call that abnormal cell division cancer. And it's deadly. Even mild cancers that are easily treated, if left untreated, will lead to death. And uh, some require major surgery and chemo and radiation, and some we have not been able to defeat. There's a few cancers out there that you get that, and it's almost a death sentence. Paul is writing about a spiritual cancer in the church, and this cancer has a a long name. It's called sectarianism. Sectarianism is the unhealthy divisions in the church. I'm excited. I got to see some friends today that I haven't seen for a while, and that's really fun. I'm glad that you could be here, and I'm glad for those who are watching online. uh, We're probably not going to be posting it to... uh, to our YouTube account anymore because it takes a lot of work to take it off of Facebook, change it, post it on YouTube. And we found that the last one that Megan spent five hours, right, on the whole process because it takes a long time to download and then upload. And, and we had a total number of watchers of zero. So we have more people watching the Facebook one. Even later, some watch it live right now. Some are watching. Some were wondering where we were when we, <laughs> they were ready to start. We weren't quite. Uh, but then some watch it later. I talked with somebody on Monday last week, and they hadn't watched the Sunday one, but they were uh, going to that evening because Sunday had not worked out. So uh, folks are watching online, and, and when you're online, it's hard to envision this. But in a church, there can be divisions. Now, we're really divided up here, aren't we? Every chairs, every group, a cluster of chairs. There's the group of Qualls, separate from the group of Penix and Ricosis, and separate from the Altamiranos, and all three of them separate from uh, the Mollets. And, And we've got this separation thing going on. But this is just cosmetic. This is just to help people feel more comfortable, to feel more safe, and so we're separating like that. But in some churches, they really do separate like that. Kathy and I were in a church as young marrieds. We didn't even notice, Um, but somebody came up to us and said, you guys are the only ones in the church who are in both camps. We're like, what are you talking about? They said, well, haven't you noticed that there's the group that follow the pastor and there's the group that follow the assistant pastor and you're the only ones who fit in both groups. And Kathy and I looked at each other like, really? This is going on? And it was. Well, eventually the youth pastor moved and started another church in another place and several of those families moved with them. And, and uh, I, I don't understand that. My dad was in a church 
where uh, there were two deacons who had not talked to each other for two years. Oh, they had talked about each other, but they had not talked to each other. You're happy to know that's not allowed in our church, right? You don't get to be a deacon if you're not willing to work through issues and problems and, and uh, show leadership in the church. That was a very strange situation. So uh, Paul's writing to this church that's starting to have these divisions, and, and they're significant, and they have the capacity to rip the church apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This church is a fellowship of Jesus Christ. This is not sectarian. This is not you do your thing, I do my thing. This is we do Jesus thing here. And we focus on him. So in verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, or I beseech you, brethren. This is a strong urging. This is not a, hey, guys, this might be a good idea. This is, please do this now. So I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So here's what the Apostle Paul was saying they needed in the church, no divisions, no divisions. You can have a church that's like separating, almost like an earthquake causing it to split apart, and Paul said, no divisions. We don't want that. We want to pull together. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, calling them to remember their mutual submission to the Lord. That's what brings us together. We know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We love and serve him together. And so he's calling them to do that. And then in verse 11, he does something some people would think a little strange. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Right? Here's a biblical teaching. It's actually part of our conflict resolution policy as a church. That uh, when folks want to become members, they read through that and, and accept that. Um, do not allow anonymity. Do not allow anonymity. We, we can't allow people to hide behind the mask. Anonymity circumvents biblical commands. It actually prevents resolution. Paul told them, Chloe's household told them about the divisions. Now, if you were a member of Chloe's household, you might think, oh, Paul shouldn't have said that. Well, yes, he should. It's the right thing to do to be able to deal with the issue and address it. And so the people in Chloe's household did the right thing. They'd apparently tried to talk about it at the church level. That had it worked. They tried to talk about it with the Apostle Paul, who was the founder of the church, and see if he could provide feedback, and he did. And so Paul told the people what he knew, and he told them how he knew it. Now, some lovey-dovey, never-offend-anybody person might think, Paul shouldn't have done that. Well, yes, he should. It was the right thing to do, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to do it. So 
Paul was bringing up an issue to correct the division that was there. Now, Paul is addressing the problem so they they can correct it. What if you went to a doctor and the doctor's sitting there and he's thinking, I I bet you have cancer. I'm, I'm pretty sure you do. But I don't want to scare him. So I'm not going to mention it. And I don't want him to be uncomfortable, so I'm not going to begin the process of trying to deal with it. How would you feel about that doctor later on when it was too late to address the problem because he hadn't taken action as soon as he saw it? You want it dealt with, and it needs dealt with in the church as well. So Paul Paul confronts it and he corrects it. And in fact, Jesus does the same thing. You never see Jesus ignoring sin. He confronts it and he forgives it, but he does not ignore it. And so Paul's doing the right thing. And now that it's out in the open and now people understand, now it can be addressed. And we can call people to repentance and faith and call people to reconciliation in Christ. But you cannot follow the biblical commands to reconcile while you allow anonymity. What you need to do is remove the mask. Who's hiding behind the mask? I know you thought it was the Mona Lisa. No, it's... It's the monetary, so, uh, you know. All right, let's move to another slide real quick. (laughs) All right, you got these divisions in the church. They're building walls up. They're separating themselves. Uh, They don't want to get along. And so one group says, I am of Paul. Well, now that's not necessarily a horrible, bad-sounding thing, right? Because Paul was the apostle who started the church. He was the missionary who came to town and preached, and people got saved. And so they say, I am of Paul. They're saying, I'm of the one who established this church and got it going and and led us and, and And so, yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. And then the next group says, well, I am of Apollos. Well, who was Apollos? He was a gifted evangelist. He was an orator, one who could speak and people really listen. And uh, he was discipled by Aquila and Priscilla so that he understood the gospel very clearly. And he preached and he taught and and people really listened. So, So Apollos, maybe Paul wasn't as smooth a speaker as Apollos. So they're saying, I am of Apollos. And then there was the group that said, I am of Cephas. Well, who is Cephas? Well, Cephas is a name for Peter. It's actually based on the etymology and the languages. Um, Peter, Jesus said he would call, Simon was his birth name. And Peter said, I'm going to call you Peter or Cephas or Rock. Now, that's why he's called Simon Peter after that. Peter was his birth name given by his parents, and Peter was the name given by the Lord. Petros is Greek for rock, and Cephas is based on the Aramaic way of saying rock. So anytime in the New Testament you see him talk about Cephas, that means Peter. So Simon, there's a couple people named Simon, but there's Simon Peter and Peter and Cephas, all the same guy. Okay, then uh, now this last group, I am of Christ. Now, 
I know what you're thinking, right? We say, I am of Christ, right? Aren't you of Christ? Well, yeah, we're of Christ. And, and so we're like, why aren't they all saying I'm of Christ? Well, it was different when they said that in Corinth. You see, when they said, I am of Christ in Corinth, it meant something different than it does today. Because when they said it, they were referring to the, you, you do realize Christ is not a name, right? It's a title, it's a position. He's called Jesus the Christ, and it's shortened to Jesus Christ. Now, what does the word Christ mean in the setting in Scripture? It means the Messiah. The Messiah. So come in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it was called Messiah. In the New Testament, in the Greek and Aramaic, it's called Christ. It's the same role. So in Corinth, when they were saying, I am of Christ, they were not saying, I am a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, my Lord. They're saying, I am of Christos, the Messiah. I am following the Messiah. These were the Jewish believers who were now separating themselves from the Greek believers because they thought they were closer to God because they were followers of the Messiah. And so all four of these divisions are wrong. Now, we would say, I am of Christ, meaning I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what they meant when they said it. Even today, there's some churches who say they're following Jesus Christ, but they're not following according to the Scripture. You have to look at what the Bible says and what was revealed about Christ. And so uh, they're dividing the church. And, and then uh, jump down to verse 14. Based on this divisiveness, Paul said, I'm really glad I haven't baptized very many of you. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Now, this was originally written as a letter. So he's written that already. And now he doesn't have a computer, right? He can't go back and insert where he forgot something and, and add it back. So he says, oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Uh, besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, Paul's not saying Jesus didn't want him to baptize. He's saying his primary mission of Christ was to be an evangelist, to communicate the gospel so that people could be saved. The commission to the church is to make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them. That was the commission in Matthew, uh, the last few verses in Matthew. That's the commission in Acts chapter 2. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them. So uh, what Paul said, not saying, I don't worry about baptism. He's saying, my primary mission is to preach the gospel. That's the main focus of what he did. And so he was glad he had baptized very few of them because then they would be saying, I got baptized by Paul, you know, and you only got baptized by Joe. They were proud of being baptized. What a silly thing. You know, normally in the church, if 
if I'm physically able, I would baptize people. Uh, if when my leg was so bad uh, before I got my knee replacement, I couldn't get into the baptistry, if we'd had somebody who wanted to be baptized right then and not wait, then Tim Pennock would have baptized him or Jeff Miller would have baptized him. And that would have been biblically just fine because it's a function of the church, not of the pastor. Uh, but they were being really divisive in that community. Now, jump back. Did you notice we skipped a verse? Which one was it? Verse 13. Some of you were paying attention. Or you read it and didn't hear me read it. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul goes back to Christ on the cross, dying in their place, and then he talks about their baptism. And so what he says, the crucifixion, only Jesus Christ died in your place. Not Cephas, not Apollos, not Paul, only Jesus the Christ died in your place. And their baptism is in the name of the Father the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in the name of God, not in the name of Paul or Cephas or Apollos. Their church, the church, this church, is about Jesus Christ. Our mission is make disciples, baptize them, teach them. That's what we do. And the mission of the church is not to make you feel comfortable. The mission of the church is not so you can come and feel encouraged and enlightened because it's a harsh world and we just need to feel better. It's not so our self-esteem can be stoked. Church is to challenge and urge us and encourage us to follow Jesus Christ. In your life, follow him and be a missionary for Christ in your community. Turn over, please, to chapter 3. Such a serious issue. Paul has to bring it up and talk about it twice. He says in, in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, they, they were very immature. They were spiritual babies. Look at this picture. They were spiritual babies. I mean, that could just as easily be a full-grown man with his feet propped up, although he'd be facing the television probably, and, and drinking a root beer instead of a bottle. Um, but, but look in for chapter 3. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babies, babes in Christ. Can you reason with a toddler? No. Should you be able to reason with a five or six-year-old? Yeah. If you can't, then you're frustrated at their emotional or mental immaturity. Paul's saying, I can't teach you much because you're just a baby. Some people, all they want to hear are Bible stories. Aren't Bible stories cool? There's some great ones in there, right? David and Goliath, and, and there's some great Bible stories in there. Um, Pastor Steve Rubio named his older son Benaiah 
Benaiah was a warrior. He went down in a pit after a lion on a snowy day and came out the victor, enjoyed some lion steaks for supper. Um, so we have these great Bible stories, but we need more than Bible stories. We need to learn truth that can help and guide our life and, and give us instruction. And so he said, you are so immature, I can't do that. In verse 2, I fed you with milk and not solid food. See, that little baby in that picture, he, if they have steak for dinner, he's not getting it. You know, on Tuesday, taco night, he's getting milk. Not even flavored with a little salsa, just milk. By the way, I didn't do that with my kids. Nathan happened to love salsa when he was two, but I didn't feed it to him like that. There was a bowl, and he had some and liked it, so I just handed him a straw. <laughs> All right. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you were not able. I mean, picture this. This is John talking to Ben. Ben is driving, and, and he's been driving John nuts for years, but he's driving a car now too. No, Ben, picture John talking to Ben and saying, Ben, I can't talk to you as if you're grown up and mature. I've got to talk to you like you are younger than Kimmy by several years. You are this little toddler and you can't handle this. That's how Jesus is talking to these people. I mean, sorry, that's how Paul is talking to these people. And he's telling them, you are so immature. I can't even have an adult conversation. I can't even have a meaningful conversation with you because you have chosen to remain so immature. Then he says in verses 3 and 4, instead of coming together to worship Christ, they were dividing based on their favorite teachers. Look in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, for you are still carnal, for there are envy, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And so Paul then rebukes them and instructs them. Beginning in verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So if there's increase in growth, you, you don't celebrate the preacher or the teacher. You celebrate the Savior who's doing the work in hearts that we cannot do. We can present the gospel, but we cannot bring conviction of sin. We can teach truth, but we cannot cause people to accept and follow Jesus Christ. The Lord does that. And then he says in verse 7, So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field you are God's building. So they were immature. They were babies in Christ. And instead of coming together, they were separating. So here's some things that we need to learn from what Paul's written in chapter 1 and chapter 3. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. 
We are disciples of him. We learn from other people, but we follow only Jesus. Man, there's some, some great books out there written by uh, smart people who studied a lot. There's a lot of bad stuff out there too. In fact, most of the stuff online generated church um, Bible discussion online, honestly, most of it is not good. There's a lot of really poor stuff out there. You need to learn the Bible and, and really study the Bible and ignore some of those teachings out there. There's two groups in particular who really dominate online, teaching that is not consistent with what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ or the church. So Paul's telling them, don't follow me. Don't say I am of Paul, right? Did you catch that from chapter 1 and chapter 3? Okay. All I see is empty space, and I didn't, I didn't see any heads. Did you see that? You connect? All right. Turn to chapter 11, all right? Keep your finger here, and we'll come back to chapter 3. But look in chapter 11. In the King James, it says follow. In the New King James, it says imitate. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So is that consistent with what he said in chapter 1 and chapter 3? Well, here's the deal. Paul is obviously not asking them to follow him at the exclusion of all other teachers. In fact, the only person in the Bible who did that was a guy called Diotrephes. And John wrote a scathing letter uh, against Diotrephes, uh, 3rd John, uh, a critique of Diotrephes and a commission that he's going to come and straighten things out in the church there uh, because Diotrephes wanted to be the one, didn't want anybody listening to anybody else. And so Paul's obviously not trying to do that. He is not trying to get the whole church to say, I am of Paul. He's not saying, you shouldn't be divided. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. What you should do is all of you say, I am of Paul. That's not what he's saying in chapter 11. He is encouraging them to join him in faithfully following Jesus Christ. He is not trying to get disciples of Paul. He's trying to get disciples of Jesus who can walk with him on that journey. So back to chapter 3. Second thing is that we serve together. We serve together. Our purpose is to show God's love and share his truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. It takes more creativity to serve and minister right now because you can't, I mean, in our neighborhood, we always have people from one or two cults who are coming by knocking on door trying to get followers. I don't know if that happens in your neighborhood, but it's happened in our neighborhood a lot, except not in the last four months. Because they pretty much know if they're not delivering a package from Amazon, you're not glad to see them on their porch, right? So, um, but, but we are serving together, so it's more challenging right now. 
Gary and Alice were serving at the senior center five days a week, right? Five days a week. And that stopped in mid-March okay? and still not happened yet. And during that time, they could talk to people. They, Gary had the opportunity to pray in Jesus' name. They had an opportunity to talk with people and pray with people and pray for people and, and be friendly and share truth. And they don't have that now. So, well, you know, they don't have to do that anymore till the, the pandemic's over. Do you think that's a biblical value? No, they could still do that. In fact, if you got here earlier, you, you got a conversation with Alice because she walked around talking to everybody and, and, and she's praying for people and, and uh, sharing with people and writing notes to missionaries. And when the whole church couldn't get and sign the notes, she sent them anyway on behalf of the church. Do what you can so that we can keep serving Christ together. Ministry is not optional for believers. Ministry is essential, and ministry requires you moving outside your comfort zone. If, if you're just really comfortable right here, then God wants you to minister over here or over here outside your comfort zone so that uh, you're growing and you're stretching and so that you're dependent on Him. Because no matter how gifted you are, no matter how talented you are, some of you like it when John Mollett prays. Some of us who are hard of hearing like it because we can hear every word he says. But, but you know, I mean, he doesn't have this high voice. He has this low voice, and it resonates, and you can hear it, and you think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Anna thinks at home quite often that John's voice sounds kind of like God, right? Not, not, uh, maybe not, okay. <laughs> but, but see, we, we have this, it's not because you're gifted. If John got up here to speak and you, heard, you, you would be able to hear every word he said and you would understand it. He has clear diction and he has a nice voice that carries. But God doesn't use you based on your giftedness. God uses you based on his giftedness. And the more you depend on yourself, the less God can use you. So God moves you outside your comfort zone so that you depend on Him. So that you are aware that you need Him. So that you wake up in the morning. Some of you moms, you wake up in the morning and say, Oh God, I don't know how I'm going to deal with today. And, and so you just commit to follow Him and rely upon Him and need His strength. And so whatever you do, those of you who are at home, those of you who are here, you need to be ministering to some people. Now, if you have a built-in group of people at home to minister to, that's great. What are you doing to minister to people outside your home? Remember, telephone calls, texting, all those things still work. So does snail mail. You can drop a card in the mail a letter in the mail, and most of the time they'll get it and be thrilled to have it. So we serve together. Don't think just because it's a little more challenging right now that you're off the hook. God has called you to ministry. A third thing is that when we try to follow a specific 
Bible teacher or preacher, we will begin to neglect Christ. You say, well, how can that be? I'm listening to this teacher and this preacher and, and I'm, I'm learning and how can I then neglect Christ in this process? Because we have a natural tendency to worship things on earth instead of God in heaven. And so there are people, I, I remember uh, being in a conversation with a lady who I thought was a very mature believer, and, and she was sharing with me this lesson she had learned from her favorite Bible teacher. And the lesson she learned was not biblical. And so I said, well, that's not what the Bible says there. And I shared with her what the Bible actually said. And she was offended that I would critique this Bible teacher from out of state that she just loved and learned from. Um, I've seen people get so focused on the teaching of a certain person, they've actually stopped going to church. They've stopped serving in a community because they're so focused on their online connection with this amazing teacher. And so there are people even in the United States today or they, they love this certain preacher out in the L.A. area, or they love this preacher down in San Diego, or they love this preacher up in northern Indiana, or they're enamored with this preacher in the Chicago area and in the New York area. And, and I could give names, but I won't bother, but those are real illustrations of preachers who have massive followings of people. But you see, that's what the Pharisees did. Remember, before Paul became Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ, what was his name? Saul. Where was he from? Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. And Saul of Tarsus would brag about who he sat under the feet of. Who was his mentor and teacher? Gamaliel. And so he would say... I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And people would really listen up. Because if Saul was listening to Gamaliel and, and being taught by him, wow, he's genius. And then Saul got saved. And Saul became a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what he then said? He didn't say, I, am, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He said, I sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees followed men. The rabbis would cite, I've learned from this rabbi and that rabbi and this rabbi and that rabbi. You know, pastors who are like that, they have on their business card all these degrees and everything they've learned from. We focus on Jesus Christ. And so when we try to follow a person, we actually stray away from our focus on Jesus Christ. And I've learned from a lot of different Bible teachers. I, I read a lot of books. I've learned from those writers. But if you came up to me and said, who is your favorite writer on Christianity and on Christian things? I would say the Holy Spirit <laughs> who wrote the Bible through the pens of all these people. 
I don't have a person I follow. We follow Jesus Christ. Right now, we need to remember that being divisive is not just awkward, it's sin. It's sin. And so back in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he said, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Remember in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, when uh, Solomon's writing about the things that God hates. Remember that? He said there's six things that God hates, and the seventh one's a real abomination to him. What was that seventh thing, that last thing that God really despised? Do you remember? The one who sows discord among brethren. So he starts with lies. Actually, lying shows up twice in that short passage. But the one that he really despised, the one who sows discord among brethren. So like in our church right now, we have one Well, right now we don't have an adult Bible class, but we did have an adult Bible class, and it was taught by Tim Pennick. But imagine that we had two adult Bible classes. And so instead of teaching the middle school, Ben and Teresa, Ben would be teaching one of the adult Bible classes, and Tim would be teaching the other. And Tim would be telling people that his class is so superior to Ben's class. And Ben would be telling people his class is so superior to Tim's class. And they would be trying to divide the church. That's what was going on in Corinth. Mind-boggling, but it's still going on today. I worked on church staff in Texas. There were nine pastors on staff. I was a low man on the totem pole. And, And there was this divisiveness between who was the best teacher and who had the best classes. And when the pastor announced who was going to be preaching on Sunday night, uh, how many people would show up depended on uh, which teacher they liked the best. Listen, you shouldn't come to church just because you like a preacher. You should come to church because you like Jesus and you want to learn from a preacher. So God hates it when believers sow discord among brethren. Being... Uh, All right, I I started to skip over something, but I'm not going to. If you go to the library, you don't expect to like every book, right? I've missed, we haven't been able to go to the library for a few months. I've got Phoenix Digital Library that I can download stuff, but but there's some books that you can't get there and you want to go to the library. If you go to a restaurant, you don't expect to like everything on the menu, right? I mean, unless it's Chipotle or something like that. But you just don't expect to like everything on the menu. Uh, If you go to a doctor, you don't choose a doctor based on the quality of magazines in his waiting room and the comfort of the chairs you sit in waiting for your appointment. You choose a doctor based on his skills and his abilities. And somehow when people come to church, they expect to like everything. They, They want to approve of everything. They want everything to be their way. And if it's not, then sometimes people who once were active in a church, they stop because petty things. Now, there are times when it's appropriate and right to leave a church. I understand that. But there's a lot of times people get petty because they don't get their way, and so they don't like it. They don't like the color of the carpet. 
or the color of the chairs. I don't like the color of the chairs. I don't even have any idea what they look like, but I still don't like it. Right? <laughs> if you're new here, I am colorblind. But, but listen, we're, we're supposed to overlook these things, and we're supposed to come together in Christ and focus on Him. And so God expects better and less self-centered behavior from His kids. So you need to avoid the spiritual cancer of sectarianism. Do not allow divisiveness in your heart or in your church. And being divisive is sin and it is proof of your immaturity. I've seen that face on adults who didn't get their way. Those of you online, I don't know if you can see the picture. It's a pouty little girl. Probably. Could be a little boy. I don't know. It's a girl? Okay. Could have been a pouty boy. There are those two. I was one. But it's proof of your immaturity. You need to grow up in Christ. All right. One last big idea here. The, your future reward will be based on your motives and your efforts, not on your results. I find this very encouraging. Uh, look with me, please, in verse number 8. Verse number 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So, I... I I'm going to use a couple of illustrations here. Uh, we, we have people in our church who were faithful and loving spouses but ended up divorced. I believe God will reward those men or women who were faithful. I believe God will reward them for their faithfulness even though the marriage ended. It wasn't their fault. And... Some of you have tried to raise kids who would follow Christ. You did what my folks did. They bought me Bibles and they took me to Sunday school and, and we, we read the Bible together often and we prayed together often and, and they did what they could. And some of those kids have just walked away from Christ. Some of you have kids or grandkids or great-grandkids and your heart is broken for their lostness. You can't change their heart but when you get to heaven, God can reward you for your faithfulness. Some of you were serving faithfully in our Good News Club and doing a great job communicating God's truth, and the school just shut it down because of the pandemic. And there's no indication they're going to start school clubs back up. Until they do, there's nothing we can do about that. Some of the kids Evelyn Friend taught in her Sunday school Bible class are now serving as leaders and deacons in other churches, ours and other churches. Uh, being faithful, can, can, you can earn rewards for your faithfulness from other places. Because God keeps track. You can earn reward because you give to our missions. And it goes to support missionaries. And it helps reach people with the gospel in other places. And Paul said that's adding fruit to your account, he told the church in Philippi. 
So a devotional I read earlier this month reminded me of James Gilmore, a pioneer missionary to Mongolia. Here's what he wrote in his journal when he arrived in Mongolia in 1870. He said, several huts in sight. When shall I be able to speak to the people? And then he writes out a prayer. O Lord, suggest by the Spirit how I should come among them. And in preparing myself to teach the life and love of Jesus Christ. You you hear the anticipation, the eagerness, the excitement. He's going to be serving God in this place where the Spirit has led him. Many years later, after serving faithfully for more than a decade, he wrote these painful words. In the shape of converts, I have seen no result. I have not, as far as I am aware, seen anyone who even wanted to be a Christian. I read that it took 14 years for his first convert. 14 years. And and you see, for those 14 years, he was faithful. He was showing God's love and sharing God's truth as he loved and served the Lord Jesus Christ. He was doing what he could. And I believe that in those 14 years, he had 5,110 days. He was faithful all of those days, and God will reward him for his faithfulness for each day. Possibly God already has. He's been with the Lord for a while. He might have to wait for those rewards till we're all there together. But God will reward your labors, not the results. So you can pray for somebody and witness to somebody and they reject Christ. You receive a reward for your faithful witness. It's more fun when they get saved. It's more exciting when they get saved. But you are just as faithful regardless of the results. So what do we need to do? You need to be faithful. You need to be faithful. You need to serve together. Connect with other people. Serve with other people. And you need to follow Jesus Christ. Not your favorite Bible teacher. Not this voice you hear on the internet or on the radio. You follow Jesus Christ together with other people who are trying to be faithful and serve Him. Father, I pray that you would help every one of us to be faithful. I pray that you would guide our hearts and our thoughts and and convict us of sin, Lord. Uh, Correct our ways. Uh, Show us how we need to change, and thank you that you already give us the capacity to change, that we are not stuck. And so I pray that you would guide us and guard us and protect us and preserve us and, and help us make a difference in the lives of other people during this pandemic and if it ever ends at any other time in our lives. May we be faithful to love and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.